We continue our walk through the second letter, second Corinthians this morning. And um, as anybody who's heard one of my sermons knows that I tend to use a lot of different verses in my sermons. And uh, sometimes when those verses are, a couple of them are especially long like today, I like to have you to be able to see them. They should be flashed up here, but if you'd rather have a copy of them, there's a piece of paper like this on the back table that you can grab that has all the scriptures that we're going to be going through this morning. Again, we just have one verse to uh, talk about today, but we have made it into a new chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. And this is what it says. Working together with him, that is working together with God, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So we're going to be talking today about this idea of receiving the grace of God in vain. Now you know the grace of the Lord Jesus. That he, though mankind rebelled against God and deserved nothing but to be cast out from God's presence and ultimately into the, into the outer darkness because of sin, yet God in his mercy sent his son he became a man and he lived a perfect righteous life and he bore the penalty that we deserved upon the cross and then he was raised again from the dead in triumph over death and now the gospel goes forth and has come into our lives to respond to this with faith and with uh, to turn away from our turning away and embrace him in love. This is the grace of the Lord Jesus. And even though all men are recipients of grace, those who hear the gospel are special recipients of God's grace. Those who hear about this Savior. Actually, as we read in Acts 17, God himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Everything we have is a gift from God. And he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He is a kind God who gives good things often. And it's, his grace is precious and undeserved. Luke 6, he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. And, but grace is not universal. Everyone is not as rich in grace as everyone else. People who receive a lot of blessings, they get used to it. That's human nature. They get used to it. 
and they begin to expect it. And instead of being wowed by a blessing, they're offended if there isn't a blessing. In 2005, for the first time, I had the privilege of, well, actually it wasn't quite the first time, but the first time I ever really had an extensive time out west. And we drove out and we saw national parks and we drove and we drove through Kansas and we kept driving and kept driving, kept driving and kept driving and it's all the same. And we saw Utah where there's hardly any plants in many places of Utah and we loved all the beauty and everything. And then we came back at the end of the summer to Virginia and all of a sudden Virginia looked very different than it had before in contrast to what we'd seen. We never realized how lavish the, our area is with green, with plants. We have things that are just fighting for each other. They, you know, we have one area and you have a hundred or a thousand plants existing in this one crowded little area and they're all trying to get a little sun, sunlight. Well, that's not the way it is in a lot of places out west. It's like, oh, look, there's a tree. And look over there, there's another one. There's a bush. They're not, it's not like it is here. And that's the way it is with regard to God's grace. There's, you know, when, you're, when you live in a place where there's just a lot of it, it just seems like that's the way it is everywhere. But we live in the con- but people who live in a context of an exceeding amount of grace can easily not be very impressed by it. Think about life, just life. We, you know, here there's life. There's human life, there's animal life, there's plant life, there's just more life than we can handle. You go outside and life starts flying at you. And you, you know, it's all over the place. But think about how little life actually exists. You dig down, after a while there's no life. You go up, after a while there's no life. There's many places even on earth where it's hard to find life. The polar regions, the deserts, it's like there's hardly any life there. Well, think about going out into space. All these stars and planets, which up to now at least seem completely devoid of life. And we realize life is pretty special. Life isn't just the rule. It's an exception. And that's the way it is with grace. We need to recognize that grace isn't the rule. It's the exception. It's a precious thing that God gives to us, to some, at certain times. I remember when I was in Africa, somebody offered me at one point a a little candy, a little hard candy. I popped it in my mouth. And after, you know, a little evaluation with my tongue, I spit it out. Why? It didn't even taste sweet to me. Because in America, we are so used to sugar that 
something like that is totally unimpressive. It's, it doesn't do anything for us. We can't even taste that it's sweet because there's so much sweetness in it. But the people there, oh, it's tasted sweet to them. You see, they're not used to it like we are. And that's the way often we react. If, if, if uh, we don't, you know, we get a little reduction in grace. It's ugh to us instead of appreciating that any grace at all is a privilege and a gift. Children who don't have good parents feel like they've been cheated. And children that do have good parents act like, of course, we're entitled to good parents. Good parents are rare. They're a precious gift. In some places of the world, people risk their lives to go to church. People risk their lives to own a Bible. Here, there are lots of Bibles. The question is whether they're even being accessed, whether they're being read, whether they're being listened to, whether the promises are being cherished, whether the challenges are being taken to heart. And with regard to church, there are churches all over the place. But we treat them as if they're a dime a dozen. It's no special thing to have a church where God's word is proclaimed. It's cheap. The purpose, you see, of all of God's grace and kindness is that we should seek God. As Paul says in his sermon in Acts 17, God's kindness is meant to lead people to repentance and to gratitude. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? The purpose of the kindness of God is to get you to repentance. God's grace is designed to have an effect on us. It's supposed to yield joy and faith and praise and humility and obedience. But it's also very possible, as our verse tells us this morning, it's very possible to receive God's grace in vain. It's very possible for all the grace that God's given to us to produce no good result. It's very possible for the grace of God to be ineffective in producing repentance, gratitude, faith, things like that. You remember the parable of the sower where the man went out, the sower went out and sowed seeds in four different areas. Three of those areas, the the grace was received in vain. It never produced any fruit. Only one. So you see that that, uh, it's very common for grace to be received in vain. It doesn't do any good. This is a common theme in Paul's writings. 
in 1 Thessalonians 3.5, he talks about how he's afraid that his labor is going to have been in vain. His labor in the, among the Thessalonians. In Galatians 4.11, he says the same thing. I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. He's afraid that all that he pours into them is just not going to have any effect in the end. Now not only, what, a, what guilty silence it is when we don't receive the grace of God and allow it to have an effect on us. Gifts are meant to move you. Do you realize that? You know, I, I'm so dumb as a human being. I, I'm 64 years old and really in the last year I've begun to realize what a sin it is to receive a, a gift and not be changed by it. Gifts are designed to change you. If somebody gives you a birthday gift or sends you a gift, a little encouragement, that's designed to change you. It's designed to help you. It's designed to do something in you. So many times I receive a gift, I may enjoy the gift, but I never take it to heart. And I never sort of pay attention to it as an expression of love, I never allow it to change my heart towards the person who gave it to me. To love them more and appreciate them more and treasure them more. Now not only is it possible to receive God's grace in vain, it's very dangerous to receive God's grace in vain. Romans 4, 5. If we do not respond as we should, his kindness will end up in our judgment. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you store up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the judgment, righteous judgment of God. If you don't receive, you know, he gives the grace. He gives you and then, if you receive it not, if it doesn't do anything in you, then it's trouble, it's danger. There is really no one more worthy of divine wrath than the person who has received much grace from God and yet has remained unchanged. He's much worse off than the person who's received very little grace from God. If you've received much grace and, have, and it's had no effect, you're the worst off of anyone in terms of the end. We see this in Jesus' condemnation of the cities of Galilee in Matthew 11. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works were done because they did not repent. And this is what he said. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. 
For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and, Sire, for, for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. You see, these people, they got a lot of grace. The Savior walked into their town and he did miracles right in front of their eyes. didn't change them. It didn't have an effect on them. And because of that, he pronounces these dark judgments on them because it yielded no effect. Because they received the grace of God in vain. The same thing, remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree? He came hoping for a fig, it bore no fruit, and he cursed it. That's the point of that little miracle. He's looking for a fig. He wants to see fruit. He blesses it with rain and with all it needs, and yet it doesn't bear fruit. And so he curses it. And in the end, when we, if we bear no fruit, the same will be true for us. The same image we find in Hebrews 6, 7, and 8. A not very well-known passage, but a powerful passage. It says this, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. That's the way it's supposed to be. You have this garden, this uh, field, and it receives rain from God and it produces a good crop for the farmer. And the farmer's happy and he blesses the field. But, verse 8, if it bears thorns and thistles instead of a good crop, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. That's what happens when God showers his blessings on a life and instead of producing good fruit, it produces no fruit or bad fruit. Those who have heard the message of the cross and been welcomed into his household, into his church, they are the recipients of an even greater abundance of the grace of God than others. And those who spurn such a great kindness are on very dangerous ground. And now I want to read you another passage. This one's a little bit longer. A parable in Isaiah chapter 5. One of the only parables in the Old Testament. Isaiah says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. It's a very similar parable is some of Jesus. Uh, the idea of a, of a vineyard that's being you know similar to the one we just talked about in Hebrews 6. 
where you know he does all the work and he rains on it. So listen to it. It says, My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know that's quite a job to clear it of stones. There's stones everywhere. And planted it with choice vines. And he built a watchtower in the midst of it from which somebody could guard it. And he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked to it to yield grapes. But it yielded instead wild grapes, bad grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed as briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds and they will rain no rain upon it. So here he's talking about his people and it applies to us just like to Israel. He showers us, he does all the work, he makes it so that everything's programmed to succeed but because of the rebellion of the human heart it doesn't succeed and we rebuff the grace of God and we don't pay attention to what he says and then he says what am I going to do with this field eventually he's just going to destroy it listen to this verse in Isaiah chapter 65 about what God will do with those like this who don't respond. He says, I will destine you to the sword. And all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. Because, why? Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. No wonder that Paul is concerned with the Corinthians that they not receive the grace of God in vain. So now let me get personal. Let me urge you to not receive the grace of God in vain. Every day the Lord showers his grace into your life. Is it bearing fruit far exceeding mere earthly graces? We have been given the grace of the message of the gospel. We've been given the grace of Christ. We read in Hebrews 6 about the rain that God sends into our lives. Think about all of the scripture you've heard, all of the great songs you've heard, all the sermons and talks and teachings that you've heard, all the good examples of people being kind to you and being loving towards one another, all the provisions and the protections that God has allowed you to experience in your life. He is calling. He's calling you. Are you listening? Are his words getting to your heart? Or do they just go in one ear and out the other? 
Are you really engaged in the Lord's grace? Are you paying attention? Do you realize what a privilege you have to hear the words of life? Or are you just waiting till church is over so you can go do what you really want to do? It may sound like my voice, but you see, if a preacher is speaking God's word, it is ultimately God's call that you're hearing, even if it sounds like a human voice. People who live lives filled with grace need also to live lives filled with praise. So is his grace changing you? Are you taking more of an interest in the people of God who are in your life and how they're doing? Are you more and more buoyed by the promises of God in his word, by the hope of Christ as you face the ordinary discouragements and sorrows and disappointments of life. You know, I can't imagine that anyone will argue with this. We don't cherish enough. We don't treasure enough. We don't get exhilarated enough. We don't glory enough. We don't celebrate enough. If you eavesdrop into Christian conversations and you hear people just talking with each other, how many expressions of awe and wonder do you hear directed to the Lord as opposed to awe and wonder directed towards other things, movies, TV shows, video games, electronic devices, amazing games that happen in the sports world, the latest YouTube video that you saw. It's not enough, brothers and sisters in Christ. And when God convicts us, when God exposes our sin in us, when God corrects us, We don't weep enough. We don't mourn enough. We don't turn our laughter into mourning enough. Here are three oxymorons. Three things that just don't fit together. A griping Christian. A grumpy Christian. A greedy Christian. How can a person who has received grace upon grace gripe, grump, or be greedy? What difference does Christ make in our lives? A Christian should not come home from work to his family 
in the same way that a non-Christian comes home from work to his family. A Christian student should not go to school in the same way that a non-Christian student goes to school. A Christian should not respond to success or praise in the same way that a non-believer responds. A Christian should not experience severe trials in the same way that a non-Christian experiences them. A Christian should not face death in the same way that a person without the hope of Christ faces it. This week I read in my times with the Lord Psalm 34.5 which says those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. That's what happens when you look to the Lord. It produces radiance. You don't walk around like, like it, as it says, it says your, their faces shall never be ashamed. You don't walk around moping around. You, there are not s- spiritual Eeyores who, have, who are looking to the Lord. Their faces are radiant. God has blessed us. Is there fruit? Or are we receiving his grace in vain? Last night, we received more rain here than some places in the world receive in a year. And that, I think, is a like emblematic of the fact that we we get so much grace from God and yet it doesn't even fathom us it doesn't even register sometimes but God says from him to whom much is given much will be required and those who are the recipients of much grace They must have much fruit come forth from their lives. And brothers and sisters, as a whole, we are the recipients of much grace. Let us not receive his grace in vain. The sermon that uh, verse today may have raised a theological question in your minds. And I'm just telling you that uh, my sermon included addressing that theological question, but I didn't have time. And it's on the, uh, the transcript that's already on the website. And th- this is the question. How does this idea of resisting God's grace or receiving God's grace in vain, how does it square with the doctrine of irresistible grace and so if that is a question you have I urge you to go to the website gpcweb.org and, uh, and read what I had to say on that question let us pray O 
O Lord our God, who are we that you have bestowed upon us such amazing grace? We don't understand it, Lord. We had nothing, and you've given us everything. We are not entitled to what you have given us, but you've given it to us nonetheless. And we praise you, and we thank you, and pray that it would generate a deep sense of humility and compassion for others and zeal for your kingdom and for the gospel. Now, Lord, we thank you that we can come to your table and where we can remind ourselves of what Christ did for us, the most precious gift of all. And Lord, as we partake of his body symbolized in the bread and the wine, we pray, O Lord, that we would receive Christ himself and welcome him, hear his knocking on the door of our hearts and throw the door open and sup with him. We pray in his precious name. Amen.